0: Hallelujah. Come on, let's stand and pray together. Give the Lord another hand clap of praise today. He's worthy. Come on, let's pray. Father, we bless you as we come as your loving community. We bless you for this day and for all that you want to say and do. God, we trust you to move in our lives for the purposes that you have ordained for this moment. Have your way this day. Thank you for the worship And we thank you for all that you will do as a result of what you shall say to us this day in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, give God your best praise today. Amen. Turn to two people and tell them God is good. He loves you. Come on. Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. Good morning, family. So good to see you on the Lord's Day. Still a little warm, but we're going to get through this heat. Amen. 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 Alrighty. righty. Glad to have my wonderful wife back. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for her. Glad to have you back, too, Jada. Amen. As they uh, come back from Ghana and we continue our mission work in Ghana as we've been there since the inception of this church. We thank God for the privilege of doing that, and they'll be going back in December. Is that correct, Lisa? Uh, This women's conference that we have partnered with a group there that is reaching quite a few women in that region, and so God is moving. And so you may not ever travel to do missions, but guess what? You are a part of the mission of God on the earth. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that. Amen. Amen. So let's get to our scripture today. Our meditation scripture is Matthew chapter 6 verse thirty-one and thirty-four and this is for your week meditation here's how I read so don't worry about these things saying what will we eat some of y'all thinking about it right now we ain't even out of service yet tell your neighbor stop it scrolling your phone checking the menu <laughs> you don't need it to appetize stop it what will you drink what will you wear These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I like that. Our text for today, Mark 6:34 through 44, it's the feeding of the five thousand. It's the one miracle other than the resurrection that shows up in all four gospels. In Mark's gospel, it shows up twice. And so here's how it reads. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate. It is already um, quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding country village and buy themselves something because we ain't spending all the church money on them. Amen. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And he and they, and they said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii and bread on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said five loaves and two, two fish. And he commanded all of them to sit down by groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups of hundreds and now fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish And looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves. And he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And they divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up 12 full baskets of broken pieces and also the fish. And there were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. Amen. Amen. I want to use as a subject from which to preach enough. It is enough. It is enough. This is a new series that we're embarking upon called the fifth gospel and it really is designed to cover just a few snapshots of my wife and I's visit to Israel. Uh, many of you all know two months ago my wife and I had a chance to go with 20 other pastors uh, to the holy land uh, to visit uh Israel uh and I want to share with you at least from those sites that I believe had the greatest impact on my faith. Now understand when I say fifth gospel (laughs) um what I mean by that I'm not suggesting that there's another gospel out there. Christ died for our sins and what? Rose from the dead. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not suggesting an alternative gospel. I'm not suggesting that somehow there's some secret gospel uh with some hidden scroll that you don't know about that the church tried to hide. That's not what I'm suggesting. But by the fifth immersion, the idea is is that you, you can read about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and learn about the ministry and the places that Jesus walked, but until you go there and actually go to the places that he ministered, that he lived, that he taught, that he preached, that he healed, that he debated the religious leadership, even the place where he died and rose from the dead. You really don't experience the full measure of the gospel. And so that's why it's called the fifth gospel. Not that there's another gospel out there that competes with the gospel that we have known for 2,000 years. But there's an experience there. There's a pilgrimage. There's, there's an opportunity to connect with God, to go deeper in our faith, and that's what our experience was. We visited those places, many places. And so, let me, if I can have the first two slides, uh, Chris. So, that's my wife and I on the trip on the Sea of Galilee. It gets a little cold out there. So, you do have to cover up a little bit and that's us again. Alrighty. And so, that's just a couple of pictures of us going on this trip. And the first pictures I want to show you very quickly is, um, that connects with the reading of our scripture is this location, uh, which is called the church of the multiplication of the fishes, the fish, and the loaves. The idea being is that this is the very location that Christians believe where Jesus actually multiplied the fish and loaves of the text we just read. Uh, this is the Catholic version and, and that's what they did, uh, over in Israel. They built a church wherever there's a sacred site. And and so, the idea is, is that, look, this is a sacred place and and it's it's biblical. It is. It is. God told Israel numerous times that when he did something in a certain place, make a memorial there. The very site in which the temple rests upon is the site where it is believed that Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac. And so, this idea of of creating these sacred spaces as a place of memory uh, definitely holds true scripturally. Give me the next slide. And the next slide here is also the church of the multiplication of fish and loaves. It's about 200 yards away. The first one is the Catholics. This is the Orthodox. They are, they're not one church anymore. They, they split. And you'll see some churches are held by the Catholics. Some are by the Eastern Orthodox. The Church of the Holy Sepulcher, which carries the, the place where Jesus was crucified. Both of them occupy that one. It's interesting. The Catholics has one side and the Eastern Orthodox has the other. I said, sound like Republicans and Democrats, right? But anyway, that's just how they roll. But anyway, the point is in that region, in that region, uh, it is believed that this is the place, so they're very close together, they're not far away. This is the place where Jesus would have performed this miracle. And surely it kind of hits the nose on the head. You can read about something, but when you go there, how many of y'all know you get a different experience, right? Get a different experience. So, what is the message? of this and I think verse 42 of Mark and the text that we just read kind of captures the message at least my experience when I was there and it says they all ate and were satisfied in a word Jesus provided enough for everybody he provided enough for everybody no he didn't provide a BMW no he didn't provide a 10-room mansion but he did provide enough he provided enough. And, and, and here's my idea. Here's my homiletical idea. It's very simple. Give thanks when God gives you enough. Very simple. Because it's easy, and I'm, I'm not judging you. Not judging, really. It's easy, and I've done it. Get so caught up in the big things we want God to do. What do we do? We forget about the necessities that God gives to us every single day. Give thanks when God gives you enough. Give thanks at the end of the day when God has given you three meals because there are many people that don't give three meals. Some maybe even one. Give thanks when God has given you enough. Give thanks when God has given you a place to stay. Yeah, I I know it's tough. I know we're in a tough economy. I know the gas prices are high. They're coming down. Amen. 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 But, 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 you, but you're still there. You're still there. And when you fall on your knees at night, before you go to bed, give thanks. Give thanks if God has given you decent health. Give thanks. Give thanks when God has given you enough. And again, this idea is thoroughly biblical. It's thoroughly a part of God's revelation. If you remember even the miracle of the feeding um, of Israel in the wilderness where he rained down manna from heaven, If you remember the story, what did God do? He said, gather as much as you need for the day, and I'm going to provide the next day, but you know, some folk, like church folks, amen, wouldn't listen, and they tried to gather more than what they needed, and what happened? It turned to worms. It rotted because God was trying to teach them the very principle that Jesus was teaching them in this text and what we even struggle today with. Give thanks when God gives you enough. Orange County is one of the wealthiest communities in the country, and yet they did a survey there and asked them, what is the most pressing need? And about 80% of them said, I just need a little bit more money. See, the truth is, this idea of needing more, it never escapes anybody, no matter what class you're in, whether you're rich or poor, you're going to always need more. If you are rich, yeah, you can get that 100 foot, uh, yacht but as soon as your neighbor gets the 130 foot yacht you know what the next step is right you got to get the 150 foot yacht and that's how it works it's always more and there's not this there's no satisfaction in it and so this fear begins to drive us and so we're afraid that we're not going to have enough money for the month for our financial obligations and the truth is if we would be honest most of us should have been out in the street years ago but we haven't And God has kept us. And God has made a way. Has it been tough? Of course it's been tough. Has it been tight? Yes. Has it been razor thin? Yes. But guess what? You're still in your place. Give thanks when God has given you enough. We're afraid that we're not going to have enough food to eat to provide for our families when in fact some of us could you lose a little bit of weight. Say amen. Pastor, why would you say that today? The truth is experts are saying that in terms of a portion of meat, it shouldn't be no more than the palm of your hand. And how many of y'all know that's what they give you get an appetizer today, <laughs> right? No, why am I raising this? Because I'm, I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody with this in a, a sea of abundance, we are driven by a fear of scarcity, We're driven by it as if it's just not going to be enough. I I have all this, but I'm I'm just not sure. And I got to get a little bit more, just a little bit more. And the question is, when does the treadmill stop? When do you get off the treadmill? When can you sleep at night? When can you get rest? Because you're always worried, but is it enough? Y'all, I ain't just preaching to y'all. I'm preaching to myself on this. We struggle with this. This is a part of the American reality that we can go get as much as we want and even when we have a lot and we have a lot, just visit another country and you'll find out how much you have. Still, we're driven by this fear of scarcity. And so give thanks when God has given you enough and you'll sleep better at night. You'll sleep better at night. Give thanks when God has given you enough, and your heart will rest in peace. Matter of fact, you add years to your life when you give thanks. So, a couple of things I want to do today. I just want to share a few thoughts from this text and how Jesus enriches our lives and, and how we're able to give thanks because of what he does. Doesn't mean that he's always going to come with the big house or the big car and all that kind of stuff. That's, a, that's Americanized Christianity. But how many of y'all know he will make a way? He will make a way. He will make a way. And in making a way, watch this. My problem becomes a solution to a greater sanctification. Somehow my faith gets stronger. Somehow I learn to trust him. Somehow I learn to pray a little bit better. Y'all don't hear me. Somehow, guess what? My praise goes a little higher. I'll come to church and now I really understand what it means to give God the sacrifice of praise because of the sacrifice he's made on my behalf. Tell your neighbor, give thanks when God has given you enough. Give thanks. Three things very quickly. Number one, Jesus will provide. You know why you can give thanks? He will provide. He will provide every time. He knows our needs before they even emerge, and he'll provide for our needs. Look at this verse, verse 33 and 34. People saw them coming, and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus went ashore, he saw the large crowds and felt compassion. It's interesting, in that area, could have gotten huge crowds. It's, it's on the hillside by, by the Sea of Galilee. Easily could have a 100,000 people. They have no problem whatsoever. The cities were always close together as uh, soon as we, we went from Capernaum to Magdala and I mean they're very short you can almost walk so when they say cities they were very close together and that's just the way it was set so it's it's just interesting how the text describes it and so here it says when Jesus went ashore he saw the large crowd. he felt compassion for them because here it is they were like sheep without a shepherd I need to deal with that now understand based on Mark's version um, um Jesus and the disciples had been ministering all day. And so, when the disciples say, Jesus, send them away, you know, and I'm being guilty of this, I'm ready to criticize them, but they're tired. You know, they're they tired of ministering to folk. They're tired of dealing with folk. And they're like, I want to go home to my family. I've been out here all day. I'm tired, Jesus. You. And if you go into previous context, Jesus even says, let's get away and get some rest. Jesus is tired. But what I love about this text, he's never too tired to minister to our needs. That word compassion, it, it has the idea. As one commentator said, his, his guts were ripped to shreds when he saw the people in hunger and need. He said, I got to do something about it. He, he, felt, he felt their need right there. And so the disciples were tired, y'all. They, they, they wanted to send them away because they'd been ministering all day. But here Jesus gives the motto can never be too tired for people. He sets that standard. And so, he says also in this text um, that they were like a sheep without a shepherd. And usually when we hear that phrase, when we hear shepherd, we think of a pastor or maybe we think of a prophet. Uh, but the truth is when it's used in the Old Testament, uh, particularly in Jeremiah's text where God says, I'm going to raise up shepherds at the own heart. It's not just pastors or priests or even prophets, but it's the leaders of Israel. It's the people who are responsible for the maintenance of the system that God had given that would take care of the people. And so, it's interesting that Mark uses this phrase right in this verse because it's juxtaposed against the previous context in which Herod Antipas beheads John the Baptist. It's literally the tale of two kings. (laughs) And so, in the previous context, you have one King Herod, and he throws a banquet, but his banquet yields death and misery. And that's exactly what the people were feeding. We'll talk about that feeling. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But Jesus' banquet, this king, when he throws a banquet, because the the whole gathering symbolizes the the alternative community, the coming kingdom, it celebrates life. And in a word, the author is asking the question, who do you think is the better king? I don't know about you, Jesus is just the best king of all, isn't he? (laughs) Listen, he's better than any Republican. He's better than any Democrat. He's above politics, y'all. He's a king all by himself and and, in a word. And here's what I wrote. He is our king and our leader that we can fully follow and trust to provide. He will provide for us. Let me give you a few reasons for that. Number one, he's going to provide because he's invested in us. He's invested in us. Matter of fact, Paul says he purchased us with his own blood. With that kind of investment, y'all, he doesn't throw his investment away. He, he's paid too much for you to think that somehow he's not going to care for you. And so, number one, he's going he's to care for us because he's invested in us. But then number two, he's always praying for us. There's a great story in Matthew 14 where Jesus sends the disciples across the Sea of Galilee and, and, and when he sends them across, uh, before they encounter the storm, the text pictures Jesus going up on a mountain praying. And the idea is that Jesus is praying for the disciples before they go through the storm. And if he's praying for them before they go through the storm, how many of y'all know they're coming through the storm? And that's how our God is because some of us can testify we've had our own storms in life. But how many of y'all know you came through it because, thank God, Jesus was at the right hand of the Father praying for us. He's made too much of an investment. He prays for us. But then number three, he is moved by our needs. And that's the hard one because many times when we're going through difficulty and we feel like our needs are unmet, we're asking the question, God, do you know what I'm going through? Do you know what my struggle is? Do you understand how difficult this has been? And I'm telling you, in your deepest and darkest moments, Jesus is right there to shoulder And sometimes he even solves the problem. And so here I'm reminded of what Jesus did in John chapter 11 when he went to see about Mary and Martha after Lazarus had died. And easily he could have bypassed them and just gone to the grave and healed Lazarus, but that's not what he does. He goes to Mary, goes to Martha, and he's with them. He allows them to express their grief. And as they're expressing their grief, we receive the shortest verse in the Bible, John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. And in that moment, he shared in their grief, he shouldered their burden, that before he actually removed the problem, he says, no, I'm going to sit with you in the problem. This is a God who can relate to us who cares for us, and and many times we struggle with that, but God is there to absorb it. God is there to be our strength. God is there to share with us in it so we don't have to bear that burden by ourselves. (sighs) And so my point is, is that, listen, Jesus provides because he's invested way too much in us. Number two, but Jesus always has a plan That is, scarcity may catch us off guard, But Jesus is not surprised by the scarcity that may come upon us. And so here in verse 38 says he took the loaves. How many loaves you have? They didn't have any. So, he commanded them all to sit down and they sat down in groups of hundreds of 50. He has a plan even though they didn't have much. And here it is. God's plan from the beginning was always economic viability for the faith community. In other words, we miss this about miracles When you see the need for a miracle in scripture, it speaks of the failure of the leadership to live by the covenant. The miracle never should have happened. If the leaders had been doing what they should have been doing with the covenant promises that were given through the Mosaic law, they never would have gotten to the place where Jesus would have had to feed these people who were hungry. And they were hungry for a number of reasons. Um, There's a great book on this that we were given on the trip, uh, Covenant Economics by Richard A. Horsley. And he talks about uh, the number of things that the nation of Israel was expected to do uh, at that time during the time of Jesus that was not being done. Uh, One of the things that we witnessed on the trip was that Herod, Herod the Great, and that was the Herod that was living at the time when Jesus was born. He, he built all these great palaces. He had seven palaces. And I mean, these things were, palace doesn't even capture. These were complex. I mean, he'd have racing stadiums at his palace where he lived. He'd have a private pool the size of a swimming pool. I mean, this dude, it, it, was, it was so hot in the summers there, this guy literally built a mountain in the desert so that he can go up to the mountain and be cooler at the higher levels. I mean, the wealth was incredible. Well, where was he getting the money? Taxation. That's where the money was coming. And the people were literally in debt. They would go into debt. They were losing their lands. And so, now we know for sure when Jesus says, forgive us of our debts, he's not talking about a spiritual debt. No, they were in serious financial debt because they couldn't pay their bills. Because the leaders did not do what God had required them to do in the nation. And so, of course, he talks about how, for, for example, number one, the land. The land was never to be sold. It was a gift that was given to the people and was never to be sold. So, imagine for you that your home was a gift or the place you stay was a gift. Never had to pay rent. Never, never had to pay a mortgage because it was a gift to you. And, and, and what would happen is that sometimes if you had a bad harvest or a bad crop, um, if things got so bad, you may have to get, give away your land. That's what happens in the book of Ruth. Uh, with Ruth and Elimelech, her husband, he dies. He loses the land. His sons die. They lost everything. And then a, a, a relative by the name of Boaz buys the land back and puts it back in the family name. Well, that's exactly what was happening during the time of Jesus as well. People were losing their lands that God had given to them. They had nowhere to stay. And they were, they were broke. Every seventh year, all debts were supposed to be canceled. Why? Because debt slavery was real. Not the slavery like we think of in America that took place in this country. But no, debt slavery in a sense, if you had one bad harvest, you could be behind, be behind for five years. And so God set up this system where no matter what you find yourself in, you can always come back. How many of y'all know that's God? You know, people talk about being biblical. You're not biblical until you want to cancel everybody's debt by the seventh year. <laughs> Imagine if all your debts were wiped free after seven years. Say amen, somebody. Amen. So next time, somebody, well, I'm like, well, I'm just being, you ain't biblical here. <laughs> on this one right here. But but that was real and God's trying to create that. That's why Jesus was strict on the divorce standards. It was not necessarily more of a moral issue. But understand with these with these marriages, uh, it involved people's inheritances and it involved their lands. And so people were getting married kind of like what we would see today with wealthy people. We don't see it more with common people. I don't know. Maybe we do. But People would get married and on a technicality get divorced, but guess what? They're keeping the land and they're putting women out and putting them out of the street who didn't have rights to protect themselves and they're becoming widows. And so Jesus is strict because that was the only way to protect her and give her a sense of safety. And Jesus comes against all of that. My point is that the miracles would not even be necessary had the nation been doing what they were supposed to do. So what's my principle? Here it is. Our faith is more than just knowing about Jesus. Y'all, we got to live it. We've got to live it. We're in a day where it's not simply knowing information about Jesus. No, we got to live the life that he calls us to live. It's it's not enough to analyze the problem and know all the issues. No, the question is what we're going to do about it. So, let me talk about a sensitive issue. Roe v. Wade. Let me say something about it. Um, very controversial in our culture. And I think you all know where I stand. Is it wrong? Yes, abortion is wrong. Absolutely. But I want to be very, very clear to everyone here, and we've always taken a stand. If you're pregnant, or you find yourself in a situation, of course, I would rather you have the baby and to give it up for adoption if you feel like you can't raise it for financial reasons. But whatever decision you choose to make, this church will support you. This church, I can't speak for that one down the street. This church will support you by any decision you make because I know God still loves you. God still loves you. And surely as a church it means that we have to get into this pool And we've got to make sure that if that does happen, we can provide the resources for those in need. But I want to be very, very clear, and I think it's been clear, and I don't want to to be misunderstood on this. If that's where you are, and you're not sure what you need to do, this church will not condemn you. This church will not judge you. This church will do like the Lord does. We will still walk with you. That's what we'll do. (laughs) Number three, and finally, Jesus always has a purpose. Behind whatever our struggle or our issue of provision is, when he does provide, there's always a greater purpose. So in verse 41, he took the bread and the fish and looking toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves and he kept giving them to the disciples and set before them and he divided up the two fish among them, and they all ate and were satisfied. And my point is, God doesn't need much to turn any situation around. This is the hardest thing we struggle with. Many times we look at the little we have and feel like God can't use it. But you give your little to God. And I promise you, God will handle the rest. As bad as the situation may be, as much as those in power may not be doing what they're supposed to be and what God calls them to be and what he has ordained leaders in the world to do, listen, God still says, I'll take what little you have and I'll turn it around and make something out of it. And Jesus provides the model, which actually the words are very similar to the words that he gave for the Lord's Supper, that if we're thankful for what we have, if we trust God with what we have, does anybody know God knows how to put more of what we need in our hands instead of complaining and whining about what we don't have? Be thankful for what God has already given to you. Does anybody know God will make a way? Does anybody know God knows how to provide be thankful for what you have, and God knows how to provide. I'll close with this, and we'll be ready for our Lord's supper. I heard the story of a preacher that was managing an orphanage in England years ago. Years ago, in which this orphanage was run by endowments that he would receive, just like a nonprofit, and like most nonprofits, it ran out of money, and. So much so, they didn't have enough money to feed the children for breakfast that morning. And this preacher had so much faith, he said, We're going to show up for breakfast, and we're going to pray, and we're going to give thanks. So he gathered the children around the table, had them sit down on the plates that were empty, <laughs> no food coming. Kids are asking the question, Why are we sitting here when we don't have any food? He said, We're here to give thanks. And so the preacher led in the blessing of the food and he blessed the food. And when he said amen, the doorbell rang or the bell for the door rang. And at the doorbell was a bakery. The baker, who had a bakery down the street and he had a loaf of, he had a load of bread and some meat and he began to explain to the preacher, God had been beating me up all morning about coming to this orphanage to give this gift. I don't know if y'all need it, but I'm going to give you this gift. And they ate and had breakfast that morning. And all I'm trying to say is God knows how to show up to do what only he can do. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord, we we live in a culture of abundance in which we're still afraid that we won't have enough, and I pray for all of us as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. Lord, that that just if we've made it through the day, that we can pause to give thanks for the enough that you've given to us. Whether it's food, whether it's a place to stay, whether it's family whether it's friendships, just a little bit, the insignificant things that we kind of overlook and how we allow the bigger things that we don't have to cause us so much stress and misery. God, make us a thankful people. You said in your word, in everything, give thanks. And I think this is what Paul had in mind, Lord, for the little things. The fact that we have life, fact that we can see, the fact that we have meals, the fact that we have family, the fact that we have our limbs, the small things that we take for granted. Lord, would you lead us to say thanks? Would you, would you lead us to be more thankful for what you've already given? That we might experience peace, experience peace and rest in our hearts. We bless you, Lord. Bless us now as we come to the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name, amen. If you uh, have your cup, if you would take out your wafer. The Lord left us with two ordinances, that of baptism and that of the Lord's Supper. As I said, the miracle actually is a symbol for the Lord's Supper. I believe more than anything, the Lord shows up in the Lord's Supper. Because it's it's a reminder of what he taught his disciples. Give thanks. It's a reminder of what we will have in the future, where we will share together in that banquet table in heaven together, in the kingdom, I should say. And so let's give thanks. And my word to you today is, what is the Lord challenging you to be more thankful for? What do you need to thank God for every single day of your life? That maybe you don't mean to, but you take for granted. That can give you peace. That can give you rest in your soul. If you pause and just bow your heads and meditate about that for a moment. Before we take the Lord's Supper. Jesus' name. Amen. This is the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let us eat together. Juice represents the blood that was shed for us for our sins. And we have the forgiveness of sins. Let us drink together. Let us pause for a moment of reflection on how God has spoken to us in this service today. Let us take heed. Let us trust him. In Jesus name. Amen. Pass your cups to the center aisle. You don't have to throw them on the floor. Amen. Amen. Thank you, doc. As we prepare to depart. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for our praise team and our band. Amen. Our media team and all that they do. Our greeters, thank God for you and for how you make this a wonderful experience of ministry. If you're watching or if you're in house, uh, this is the time that we share the gospel. No, there's no alternative gospel that we preach. Gospel is very simple 10 simple words. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. And the scriptures teach that if you believe that he will save you. And some of you online, some of you in house, God has been speaking to your heart that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to become a follower of Jesus Christ, to follow his way. And this is one way. And too many Christians live out of scarcity, afraid of what they may not have, knowing full well that God is able to provide for every single need. And it does start with the small things, and it is a step of faith. It is our sanctification, how God grows our faith. Maybe that's where you are. You need to, you need to take the first step to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Whether you're online or in-house, this message was for, was for you. This service was for you. Uh, On the screen, there is a QR code. If you hit that QR code, we will share with you how you can know Christ. Uh, If you're in-house, I have a minister down front here, or you can meet us in the hospitality suite, excuse me, you can meet us in the hospitality suite, and we will share with you how you can know Christ for yourself. We'll do that in-house, either way. Or you can use the QR code if you're in-house as well. Uh, But this is your moment. Jesus is enough all by himself. That's all we're trying to say. And we want you to experience him. him. Pastor, I already know the Lord. I already know Christ. I'm a Christian. But maybe you don't have a place where you can grow spiritually, where you can fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, where you can practice your faith. Christ Community would love to introduce you to our vision, our mission. We have a class called Next Steps that's designed to do all of that. If you're a guest or a visitor and you want to learn more about Christ Community, we would surely love to do that. Again, the QR code will get you there for that. Again, if you want to stop by the hospitality suite, we will get that information to you as well as we truly believe God has a purpose for your life and we want to be a part of helping you discover that purpose. God bless you and may God keep you. Christ Community, my word to you. from this trip that my wife and I took, particularly when we went to those two places, Church of Multiplication of Fish and Loaves, many times God has already given us, given us enough. Be thankful. Be thankful. Even it's for the little things, be thankful. Because it's not the size that matters, but it's the size of the God who gave it that matters the most. God bless you. Let's get the benediction here we go. You are the light of the world, so now go now knowing that God is on your side, that God knows your every need. Yes, you're gonna have some ups and downs. Yes, you're gonna have some hills and valleys, but through it all, remember, he always provides enough, and when he does, don't ever forget to be thankful. Give thanks and watch God even do more in your life in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said. Amen. Turn to three people and tell them God is enough all by himself. Come on. God bless you.